To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest. To God his Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to Mark as recorded in chapter 6 verses 7 through 13. Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their money belts. They were to put on sandals, but not to wear two coats. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the area. Any place that will not receive you or listen to you as you leave there, shake off the dust that is under your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They also drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Did you catch that? Jesus, we're told in verse 7, and then he calls the 12 to himself and he begins sending them out two by two. And the word for sending them out is sent out with a commission. When somebody sends you with a commission, you have authority. They're sending you out for a purpose. This is how you represent me. And we're told in verse 12, and so they went out and they preached the, the message that they, that they are to change their mindset, is how we, the, a literal translation of that Greek word, which we translate as repent, a change in mindset. See, in our original condition, we are slaves to the devil, and he has quite a propaganda campaign, so that it's almost like he's told us the sky is purple, and we are absolutely convinced it's purple. We even don't understand what repentance is, that change of mindset, because it's a complete change of thinking of, of God's holiness and stuff. We think of that as slavery because we're slaves to the devil otherwise. But a realization that we're forgiven and we're free from the law, and therefore we want to shine out that holiness out of thanks to love for God. But like I said, that's like telling somebody who's heard their whole life the sky is purple. No, you're using the wrong filter. You've got the wrong mindset. This, the, the sky's actually blue. And so when you have to deal with somebody, and that's you and I in our natural condition, who has been so brainwashed to think about things in this world in the wrong way, how would you replace the filter so that they could actually think about it the right way? So our sermon theme for today is, how can we proclaim a complete change in the way a person thinks? Now, the first thing I want to point out we got to get to some of our own insecurities, some of our own filters before we can address other people's filters. And in verse seven, we're told, and then he called the 12 to himself and began sending them out two by two with a commission. Now, this is the 12 apostles. They get sent out in groups of two. So there's six total groups. But do you notice they're sent out not alone? Lots of times when we worry, my neighbor, I, they're so thing about the world in the wrong way, and I love them, I want them, I want to see them in heaven, I want them to know the comfort of Christ, but how can I change their mind? How can I do this? Remember here, the apostles were not sent out alone. Something has gone tremendously wrong when a church says, well, evangelism is solely and exclusively pastor's job or the evangelism committee's job. When people say our church needs to be doing this, this and this for evangelism, but the person saying it's a hypocrite because they themselves are not doing it. 
Evangelism is never meant to fall solely and exclusively on one person's shoulders. Well, it fell exclusively on Christ when he died and paid for our sins and rose. But for you and I, it's never a you are completely alone. In fact, I love when in the epistle to the Corinthians, where the Corinthians get to saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. And Paul tells them, I planted and Apollos watered. It, they were actually working to with each other for God. And so there are many ways in which we can sinfully try to take the excuse of doing evangelism off of our shoulders and put it on somebody else. But lots of times we go, ah, I, I don't know, do I speak nicely enough or whatever? Take advantage of the opportunities that God presents to you. But remember, it's not meant to be a you and you only kind of a thing. So how can we proclaim a complete change in the way a person thinks? Find comfort. You're not alone. And remember, you're not meant to be God's attorney. You are meant, God has sent you with the commission to tell the good news of salvation Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that makes them believe. We'll get into that more in a minute. So there again, I've already mentioned in verse 7 that when he sends them out, the, the Greek word that's used is actually the Greek word where, that you end up getting the word apostle from. He sent them out with a commission. So... When God, who is the king of all things, the ruler of the universe, sends you out with the commission, you've got a very special task. You're going as his representative. And in fact, we're told in verse 7, and he was giving them authority over the defiling spirits. And in verse 13, we get to see the results, and they were casting out many demons. They had authority. When God gives you a commission to go out and share his word, you have God's authority. See, you are speaking his word. And as I've said, the Holy Spirit works through that word to convince the person. And if he's already created faith in their heart, he's working through the word you've been sent with to water that word. You are God's messenger. And so when you are speaking God's word, you have the Father who planned it, the Holy Spirit who redeemed and made it happen, or the Son who redeemed and made it happen, and the Holy Spirit who enters the heart and gives faith. You have the triune God standing behind you. You're their representative. They're using your mouth. So I always remember, you have a powerful message. But again, we want to address a mistake that many Christians make. It's one thing to paraphrase the word. You're still standing behind it. Our God's still standing behind it. It's, it's, it's one thing to apply the word to the person. Say, you know, here's how I've seen the word apply in my life and here's how it applies to you. God is standing behind that. But if we get the word wrong, if we teach it falsely, if we twist the word and make it say things that it doesn't say to suit our own agenda, God's not standing behind us then. Back before telephones and everything else, when a king sent a messenger to proclaim his message, the one thing that they had to do was proclaim that message. If they were to turn around and twist it and, and, and change the message, they would be in trouble with the king whom they represented. But so long as you are standing on that word, and again, you could be paraphrasing it and everything else. It's when you're teaching it falsely, when you're saying things that God's word says the opposite, then you don't have the authority. But otherwise, relax. Let the results stand in on God. You have his authority. He's using you as his mouthpiece. Now, we're told 
in verse 8, and he gave them strict orders that they are to be taking nothing along onto the road except a walking stick, no bread, no bag, and no money in their belt, except the sandals they have strapped on, and you are not to clothe yourself with two tunics. Jesus gave these as he sends the apostles out. Do you get the point that Jesus is telling them? You don't have to worry about supporting this ministry. If you have given your life to proclaiming the gospel, then God's going to make sure that you're supported. So in the apostles' case, like bringing an extra tunic, would today be saying, don't pack an extra shirt even. If your clothes wear out along the way because you are sharing the good news of forgiveness, God's going to see to it that those things are provided for. Now, sadly, where we see people giving their full time to the ministry, is, uh, to, to proclaiming the word, it would be especially in the office of pastor. But we see it in teachers and elders and deacons and deaconesses and congregations, staff ministers, these sorts of things. But the sad thing is sometimes congregations get the wrong mindset. And I thank the Lord I do not serve a congregation with this mindset. But some of them do. They say, Lord, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. Now, certainly something is wrong if a person is getting rich proclaiming the gospel, especially the way then they treat that wealth can really show who the real God is that they're serving. But there's also a warning when somebody comes to you with the word and they need support, support them. But we can apply this even if you work as a plumber or a nurse or a policeman or, a, or if, you, if you work in, at, at a department store in all of your jobs, remember that God supports you. You're not alone in all of this. Again, going right back to the two by two, you will be supported. And I was amazed many times when I was a layman at the jobs that I had, how often I had opportunities to apply the word of God to, to co-workers who were struggling in their marriage, struggling with life, having health issues. But I also often was amazed how another co-worker would hear the conversation and come in and say, yeah, what Fred was telling you, and what is more, here's something else I think you need to know. So that again reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. You're not the only one. It doesn't fall exclusively on your shoulders. Know that you will be supported. And sometimes we get nervous what if I share the word of God at my job and my boss gets mad and fires me? Now, there are times in which we can be actually not doing our job so that we can share the word of God, in which case we're stealing from our employer. But in some of those sayings where if we're witnessing to people uh, outside of their jobs and, outside, and we're afraid, like I've posted something on Facebook and I might lose my job, God will support you in that. God has a plan, just as he did with the apostles. But he says something else to them in verse 10. And he was saying to them, whatsoever home you guys enter into, remain boarded there until you guys depart from that place. Now, on this particular missionary journey, they wouldn't be staying in one town for more than three days. But how would you feel if somebody came with the life-saving word of God and you weren't the wealthiest person in town? Said, hey, you don't have a place to stay. I got an extra bed and, and you can stay at my house and, and you know, I, I can give you three square meals a day. And the person stays the night and then the next day somebody else says, you know what? I've got a feather bed and I've got some Alaskan king crab. And the person said, I'm sorry, I can't stay with you anymore. I'm going to finish off the week at their house. Guess what? That would be selfish. And in that selfishness, it would be showing their true God is greed. 
And so one of the lessons we want to draw out of that is don't be selfish. There are times, yes, we can run ourselves ragged sharing the word of God, and we want to be very, very careful about that. But I've often seen congregations where you get people who all they can do is think about themselves. Well, I was having a hard time, and I needed the congregation to come, and they needed to take care of me for a week straight, and never mind anybody else in the congregation. And sometimes we see it where congregations can get so caught up, and we definitely want to nourish the sheep of our congregation as as well as reach out to the lost and the wandering. But we can have sheep that get so demanding that they actually prevent the congregation from doing outreach and going after those that are wandering. Being selfish can create a lot of problems. Now, I have also had the privilege as a pastor of having people say, Pastor, you don't, you don't need to come over here and say, no, you've got a big problem. Let me comfort you with the word of God. So we've even got to be careful what's understood there by selfishness. But recognize, Jesus set the example. The night that he was going to be betrayed, he washes the disciples' feet. That was not considered uh, the job for an honorable person, let alone the king of creation. But he was about to take all the yucky filthiness of our sin and put it on his shoulders the very next morning there on the cross. God came to serve. And if we're going to help people have that change of mind, we've got to have a servant's Heart. We've got to set aside the selfishness of our sinful nature. And that only comes when God, when we know that God selflessly carried the burden of our sin and that he's put his Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we believe. So how can we proclaim a complete change in the way a person thinks? You're not alone. You have authority. You will be supported. Do not be selfish. But now let's get to the bread and butter where the change of mind takes place. And verse 11 says... And at whatever place does not receive you nor listen to you, then while you are departing from such a place, shake the dust off from underneath your feet, resulting in a testimony to them. Now, people read this and they think this was a defiant gesture. Oh, you're not going to receive me and you're not going to listen to the word of God. I'm going to flip you the one fingered wave if you know what I'm talking about. That was not the case at all. And we got to spell out here. This is not a, they were reluctant to receive you. They were reluctant to listen to you, but eventually they got around to it. It was no, it is abundantly clear. They want nothing to do with you. Got the ears plugged, la, 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 we're not listening. Shaking the dust off as they were leaving the town off of the sandals was a testimony. God's messenger was here and you rejected God's message. When Jesus talks about the end of times and separating the sheep from the goats and that on judgment day, one of the things he says is he tells those who were unbelievers, depart from me, for I was hungry and thirsty and you did nothing about it. Make a long story short. And they're shocked, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and do nothing about it? Whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. Lots of times you'd be amazed how people will, will complain, they'll hate, they'll despise the word of God. And then they'll say, it's unfair that God is going to let me burn in hell because I rejected him so much. Sometimes it takes strong law. And we have to be willing to proclaim that law. And the purpose is not defiance. It's to say you are not listening to God's message. The law has a purpose. And we live in a society in America today where we are just bent on saying, here is my sin, and how dare you tell me it's a sin? 
Now, we don't want to be looking down our nose at people. I'm better than you because I don't struggle with your sin. Look at how great I am. But you and I had this problem as well. When we proclaim God's word, specifically the law, the Holy Spirit makes that come in and crush all of our excuses, all of the devil's lies. It has to rip our dead hearts open so that we can look down and say, it's dead. I'm going to hell. No excuses. I'm not holy. If God is to be fair, I go to hell. And it is then that the heart is ready to hear the wonderful news. God loves you. God doesn't want you in hell. God suffered for your sin. God was holy in your place. God, the Holy Spirit, creates faith through that message. He puts that message into the heart and sews it shut. And the heart starts beating alive in Christ. The good news that Christ did all the work for your salvation gives new life. And that's really the answer to our question. How can we proclaim a complete change in the way a person thinks? It's actually the work of God. You're the messenger who comes in and says, you need heart surgery. And then the Holy Spirit does the heart surgery because you get to be the one who says, and Christ has done all the work. This is literally a miracle. And God privileges you with getting to proclaim the law and the good news of salvation in Christ, which is the gospel. I want to point something else out now that we've answered the question as we wrap up our sermon. Starting at verse 12 and 13, and so they went out and they preached the message that they are to change their mindset. That's the word for repent. And they were casting out many demons and they were also rubbing many sick people with olive oil and they were healing them. Now, some Christians misread this and they think it says, and they were rubbing many sick people with olive oil in order to heal them. That is not what it says. Rubbing of oil is not a sacrament that God has created. It says, and healing them. So what was the point with the olive oil? When you are sick, when your bones and joints and muscles ache, who doesn't enjoy a good massage? They were going to sick people's house and they were spending the time to rub them down. It opened a door for them to share the good news of a savior. And then God often gave his prophets the ability to do miracles as shall we say the seal, I am God's messenger. Now, after telling you about your savior, now I'm going to heal you. And it was actually God who healed them, right? But if you stop and think about that, this takes a lot of patience and time. I tend to want to walk up to people and say, John 3, 16, well, why aren't you believing? Why aren't you saved? Patience and time. As again, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Many times when our neighbor needs help, we go, well, I shared the word of God, but it was ineffective and we stop. We don't come back to water. Patience. God works through crosses. When hardships come in their life, their heart's ready to receive some more water. And God will open up the door and say, now get in there again. And so how can we proclaim a complete change in the way a person thinks? You're just the messenger. So, no, you're not alone. You have all of God's authority. God will support you. Don't be selfish. 
But then the thing that the miracle is the proclamation of God's law and gospel and God privileges you to do that. And then recognize it usually takes patience and time. The same kind of patience God has used to bring you into the faith. And every day you and I sin, every day God patiently pours the blood of his son upon us. Every day he nourishes us with his life-saving word of forgiveness. Every day in his great patience and through time, he sends us back out into the world to share the message that we ourselves have received. Amen. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and in his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.